Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Governance Evaluator webinar, The Importance of Data-Led Governance and the Three-Year Effect. Today, our special guest panellists are Alex Ashleman, and Alex has been the Chair of Gibson Sutherland Health Service. We also have Marianne Pulley-Vogels with us today, who is presently the Chair of the Timboon and District Health Service. And we also have Ben Moore, who is the CEO of the Kahuna District Hospital. They're going to talk to you about their experience over the last three years of the magic of using data and governance evaluations. And they're going to talk to you about their own journey and introduce themselves to you in a little moment. Why we decided to um, have this important discussion with you today is that we've been looking at our data and it's really interesting. We've been looking over the last five years and we looked at over 480 of the last evaluations from over 5,000 directors, whether they were evaluating their whole board or whether they were evaluating themselves as directors about their own skills and about their skills in relation to the sector that they're in. And we discovered a fascinating thing, that the majority of journeys were that from year one to year two, they actually increased their answers to yes, yes, we do things quite well. And, but there's this very interesting patch in the middle, which is year three to year four, where there seems to be a plateau. And we were really interested to know what was that plateau about? What made that happen? Some boards actually started in their evaluation with lots of yeses. And then across their journey, they discovered that they were probably not as yes as they thought they were. And they tended to go down on their journey. We also discovered that a small amount of boards started with being really hard on themselves and over the years improved. But importantly, we thought, let's talk to some chairs and CEOs from organisations who could describe that journey and help us understand why this three-year plateau and why is there some magic around that three years. So let's open up to our discussion today and let's start with our first question. So if I may start with you, Marianne. So Marianne, first of all, welcome and thank you for coming and talking with us today about your three-year journey. First of all, we'd love to hear just a little bit about yourself and how did you even come to be in this role as chair? And tell us about your first year of evaluation. What did the data show you? And what were some of the things you had to address in that first year? Well, first of all, thank you for asking me to come along to this. I've lived this for the last three years, so it's great to have the opportunity to share it. My story was quite interesting, our board's journey. I started on the board just when the nine-year rule came in, where anybody over nine years really had to leave the board. So in 2017, when I joined, many around the table who had been there for over 10 years were there no longer. And the department allowed us to keep two people on for our corporate memory. And we saw six new members actually join that year. I was one of them. Of those six, five of us were new to boards. So we were first-time board members. So that made the dynamics interesting. 
And of those that remained outside the other two, they'd only been on the board for a couple of years. The induction when we started, I was quite unsure about boards. I'd had held senior roles. But when I started with them, I remember going on day one, receiving a very big, large folder with tons of information about the service, getting a tour of the hospital, meeting some of the executives and what have you, and then sat in on my first board meeting, which I must say I was quite nervous about. I became chair actually after five months of joining, which... Uh, we kind of decided to do because we knew that the other two were going to be moving off and we needed a succession period with some hand-holding from the previous chairs. So they acted as my mentors. They held my hand through the next seven months. But it, that worked really, really well, given that it was my first time to the board. The, the board members around the table were fantastic and supportive, so that was good. But the one thing that did become you know, apparent to me was the lack of information I had when I joined in terms of governance. Where had our journey began? What had happened prior to my starting? We were told about a governance tool we had previously licensed. And when I reviewed it, it seemed a great way to get a snapshot of our perception and where we were now and, and help with some of the actions that we needed to discuss and address as we move forward. I personally needed a lot of help with creating a plan that we could follow and then measure at the end of that. This time though, instead of just licensing the software, I found out that we could also license a convener, an independent individual. And I thought this was gonna be critical for us because we just didn't want the team to just go in and answer questions and then have those questions come back to me without any context. The independent convener was great because what they organised were individual, independent, confidential interviews, and which explored their views, the whole of board capabilities under the key areas of evaluation, culture, skills, relations, risk management, induction, etc. And then following that, we had a recommendations report, which was created, which identified the themes from the confidential interviews. And the final report um, came through after we had a discussion around the board table, which involved the creation of an action plan. So basically for me and the board, it was extremely useful because it created a better snapshot of what everyone was thinking and where we needed to go in terms of the, the 12 months ahead. So that was launched in my second term. But for me as a new chair, the process was invaluable. With everyone's input and the guidance we received from the convener, I was able to create a roadmap and an action plan which allowed us to focus as a board on the key priorities. It was a great way to get organised and especially as the CEO we had was away and well for most of our time. Now in that first year you asked me what we focused on. We focused on developing our strategy, managing our risks and processes, tidying up the way we received the information in the board packs and our agenda. And of course, induction was high on our list as well. The one thing I must say that was really valuable after the first year fee was that the department asked for evidence from us of our board assessment. And because it was online and because we'd had the individual assessments, what we were able to do is just get the report printed and sent to them. It also helped us identify the areas we could seek the skill sets in the next nomination and our round four nominations for board. 
So the data was incredible in the first year, but because we were all so new and particularly because I was new, it set the, the framework for us. It set us up. Just quickly, Marianne, in your first year, did you mark yourselves hard or high? Can you remember? Yeah, I remember clearly because I was really, really pleased. We actually felt we knew quite a bit about what was going on, <laughs> given the information we had. We were feeling confident and I thought most of us felt we should be, you know, ticking the, the green boxes. So, yeah, we came out actually quite high. And, uh, yeah, so with a few yellows, I don't think there were any reds, but uh, certainly we were high. We weren't in the middle there. Great. Thank you, Marianne. That's terrific. So, Ben, big welcome to you. So tell us a little bit about your background and what was it like for you the first time and, and what did the data show you and where, where did you sit on that journey? Thank you, Fiona. And, and look, on behalf of our board chair, uh, Ross Dallimore and I, we're really pleased to be here today to talk a little bit about the journey, over, especially over the last two years at uh, Kahuna District Hospital. I guess as a, a background, I um, had previously worked with another small rural health service for five years as a, as a board director and a chair of a board as well. And being a new CEO coming in two years ago into a public health CEO role was, I think that was quite beneficial having um, undertaken that work. And I guess the reason I raised that is so far, uh, my first comment would be, I think it's very effective when both your executive and your board work together with uh, you know, enhancing the governance um, practices. I think that's probably been a, a big success for us. Considering my start, which um, you know, essentially we'd moved here at Kahuna District Hospital out of a, a joint CEO management arrangement and just, I guess, um, I always sort of say Kahuna, you know, uh, that's above its average in the sense that even though we're a small rural health service, we, we have maternity services, we have theatre, dialysis and a, and a lot of um, high-risk clinical areas uh, that, that we have to, uh, to govern and manage. And at that particular stage, it had just been uh, probably an eight-month journey before I started where maternity had become uh, a big concern and, and also had a little bit of a political spotlight uh, around it as well. So our board uh, thankfully made the decision to go back to having a, a CEO full-time at the service and picked me to do it, which was fantastic for my end. I, I really enjoyed the process. But I guess, uh, you know, raising that we had such a complex organisation from our own clinical governance uh, was probably an area that was just really at the forefront uh, of what we needed to do. And I guess in starting drawing upon what I'd experienced using the governance evaluator uh, tools and processes and self-assessment in, in a previous life as a board chair and, and a board member, and thankfully we did have an engaged process with governance evaluator where the self-assessments had been done. I'd stepped in just at the time when it was due for an action plan for that, for that financial year ahead. And it was a fantastic opportunity as a new CEO to work with the board to have a look at what they were saying as part of that self-assessment given uh, and just drawing on Mary Ann's situation where we'd had probably a, a little bit of change with some of our board directors being relatively new to the service under the nine-year rule as well. So we, we did have quite a, a lot of opportunity is probably the way to say it in terms of the, uh, the reds and the yellows that appear in a self-assessment in year one. But a lot of that was what I'd probably call process governance in the sense that we didn't probably have maybe some of the structural things in place that probably would give board members confidence. And as a guide, you know, we didn't, for example, have a formal induction policy or a formal executive appraisal 
policy. We didn't do a lot in the way of, say, in-camera work, which wasn't part of the, the sitting agenda at the time. And, and the board didn't have a structured calendar for the year that they could sort of see what was going to occur for the year and what they could expect from their executive in, in, in terms of reports and updates and, and guidance to, to, to sort of guide the agenda in the year ahead. So, you know, I won't use low-hanging fruit, and bit, but, but I guess for us it was probably a case of um, putting in place some of the structure in that first year that was needed. And, you know, from, a, a, I guess, an executive perspective, I felt like I'd come into an organisation where we, we seemed to have a lot of um, the data and information that I would probably want to see as a board member, but probably weren't communicating it as well to the board members in terms of being able to you know, give confidence around uh, what we're monitoring and managing and measuring those sort of matrices. But I think a good example is probably around a statement of um, priority process in, in terms of the public health services every year. We have to undertake certain activities as part of our funding. And one of the easiest things we did to sort of help the board see what's happening at the operational level is to align all our executive reports under the headings that were outlined in the statement of priorities and, 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 and link them in with the tasks that we were required to do, that they were required to deliver on. So that at least that way, every month, they were seeing that our reports and the things that we were doing to improve the health service and run the health service were actually aligning up quite well with the statement of priorities. And I think that was, that was just another simple uh, little tool and technique that straight away we were able to then... Um, uh, not change the information we're providing, but but put it into context of, of the greater picture around clinical governance and, and more strategic thinking. So I guess the year one scenario for us was uh, really quite positive because there was some very clear guidance. And obviously in terms of your discussion today and your charts, you'll see things do sort of um, plateau a little bit. So I guess the, the, the best piece I could probably put forward is in that first year for us, it really was around um, setting the standards, make, making sure the agenda and the structures were there for the board to receive the information they needed to be able to do the job they were, uh, they were um, put forward to do. Great. Thank you, Ben. And so interesting to hear it from the CEO and executive perspective. It's really helpful. So, Alex, let's hear from you. Let's hear about your journey Thank in you. that first year. Oh. Happy to, really happy to be here with uh, Marianne and Ben and Fee and your team and welcome to everyone. Thank you. Um, so uh, my background's in engineering and business and sales and governance consulting. I joined the board of Gippsland Southern Health Service around 10 years ago in, in 2010. At the time, we'd had a, uh, a CEO that had been there for 25 years plus, uh, far greater than any of the board members. And I guess it was a case of the, uh, the tail wagging the dog. He kind of ran, ran rings around a lot of the, uh, the board members. So that was never going to last. So we had a, a number of CEO transitions and we recruited a new CEO around four or five years ago. And Mark Johnson's doing a fabulous job. When we started, I'd only recently completed the Gippsland Community Leadership Program and um, really keen to give something back, which is why I joined the board in the first place. Around evaluations... They were sort of hit and miss. Some years we did them, some years we didn't. Uh, but we had board members actually get up and walk out saying, I'm a volunteer here, you can't evaluate me. This is giving back to my community. How dare you? Kind of missing the point about the idea of an evaluation is to get better as a board. And you, you've never arrived. You, you, it's a journey that, that, that keeps going and going. You're never actually going to get there. You can always improve. And especially with a nine-year rule that Marianne and Ben have spoken about, you're always going to have new board members coming on every year and other board members going off. So you're always bringing in new, uh, new people. 
So when we first did our review using the governance evaluator in 2017, I'd, I'd personally done a lot of board evaluations in my consulting world with a lot of government departments. And the set of questions that they put on the table were 20 pages long and took three or four hours to do. And it was a nightmare. And, and the board members that we work with just hated them. And they were full of double barrel questions saying one statement and, and then and another statement. And they didn't know which one to answer. And it was very, very confusing. So I was really happy with the structure of the governance evaluator um, program because it just made it easy to distribute and to get the results in from the board members. The results in our first year, was a lot of red in there, uh, a lot of yellow. So, so those that don't know, the, the governance evaluator uses a traffic light approach. So green's good, uh, yellow or orange is not so good, and, and red, you got improvement. And so there's a lot of red in our first year, which is not surprising. But really what we did with that was analyse it afterwards and go, well, what are we going to do over the next 12 months with these results? We, how do we work through the next year? So it was a really interesting process. And the strategic planning part was something that we sort of focused on. Again, when I first joined... We were halfway through a five-year strategic plan and nothing in that plan mentions a new hospital, but we were halfway through the building a new hospital. So a strategic planning on a public health board is, is a challenge because of the limitations that the department, you just limited, you know, your statement of priorities is not something you have a lot of decision-making around, but the route, it's still very important and you, and you need to do it. So yeah, year one was really good to get that structure around and get those results out. Terrific. Thank you, Alex. What an event for you, having people walk out. But look, you stuck with it. And and year two, this is really interesting. I'm really interested to hear. So what happened to you in year two? And you think of that graph that we just showed of those hundreds of evaluations. What happened to you guys? And, and where did you go after year one? So our year two results were significantly better than our year one results. There's not much red in there at all. And my initial thoughts were that we actually didn't get so much better as a board, but we got better at answering the questions, which is not really good. But previously, the board meetings were very, very finance focused. And because money is so important in all industries, it just became really, really driven around the agenda and the minutes were really focused around finance. And we wanted to get away from that. So we used the results and worked out what we wanted to do for the next 12 months and, and sort of pushed, changed the agenda around put decision-making items at the front of the agenda, brought in guests into the board meetings. The, the CEO and the finance controller did a sort of finance 101 each year with new board members because of, you know, um, financial literacy is not everyone's cup of tea. And that was something that we, we was highlighted from the first year. And also clinical governance, as Ben mentioned, it's so important these days in the health service. And, and I would recommend everyone on a public health board to do some sort of clinical governance training each year because you, you, you can never hear this stuff often enough. And, and for those of us that don't have a health background, it doesn't come as second nature. So, yeah, the results got better. And, yeah, it was an ongoing journey. So we looked at the results again and said, what are we going to do over the next 12 months that's going to make the results even better again when we answer the questions the year after? Fantastic. So, Alec, that's fantastic that you thought you actually got better at answering the questions. So clearly the discussion afterwards is the important bit. Um, from what you're... you're not doing it for the sake of doing it. You're doing it to mm. a better board. And for that reason, we, we also got the, the CEO to do the evaluation as well. 
Yeah. Because the CEO can, you know, we used his results to sort of review what he thought we were doing right and wrong and, and sort of assessed his results differently to ours as well as combined. So it was interesting to see that. Well worth doing. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's a great tip. So Marianne, for you in year two, so you started off with quite high results, greens and yellows and did quite a lot of things. So what happened next? Well, um, the year two results were really interesting because by that stage we'd had more confidence around the governance responsibilities so that we were there for, particularly all the new board members I spoke about you know, earlier. So interestingly, as I said before, in year one we had all those areas of green, but now in year two, with more knowledge about our roles and the questions that we were asking, we showed up more areas of yellow and we even had one area of red couple of areas of red actually. So we knew we had to focus on a number of key areas. So this was great insight for me as a chair and also for the directors around the table. It really generated a lot of discussion and we were able to set a new set of actions to work on. Now, one of the actions that came out of that and I think Alex mentioned with the nine year rule, you're constantly refreshing the board and induction is going to be critical. And not only induction, but actually having a voice around that table when you come on the board. That's what you're really looking for, the expertise. And in 2018 round of appointments, we were fortunate enough to appoint an expert in the clinical care area. She was fantastic. And like me and the others, it was her first board position. And she was the only appointment that year. So Unlike the previous year where there were six of us and we're all feeling nervous together, she was on her own. So she turned up. I gave her the book that I got the year before, gave her the tour and uh, did the introductions and then left her sort of get on with it. But I soon realised how intimidating it must have been and noticed that she was holding back, you know, in the areas where she was confident in, really. But I, and I was really keen to hear her voice. So we met up for a coffee. And what I basically learned from that conversation was that she was focusing on what she didn't know rather than what she did know. And from there, I started to think about how important it was for her to have someone to bounce off with. So I appointed a mentor, someone she could talk to before the meetings and also encouraged her to talk about the areas. But it did give me some thinking time around, we need to fix induction, and it was one of my actions. And given my background in online learning, I was keen to change our whole of the induction process and leverage further the governance evaluator using that new skills development matrix that you brought on board. So it was really good timing for us. And I wanted to take induction completely online. So it was easier for me to actually see the skill sets that we had with all, with all the new board members, but also for them individually to see a path. Where did they need to go and guide them through that? My vision was actually to have one place where you can go to assess your current skill set, identify your area of expertise, and at the same time, highlight the areas you needed support. So the questionnaire from the skills development and skills matrix was only one component of that plan. What I was able to do was include all of the roadmaps. So I was able to set up the appointments, identify the links that they needed to resources, such as the director's toolkit from the department, 
links to our website, links to our social media sites. And we structured the entire plan online with the questionnaire, with timeframes for completion. And the process was set up to take over 12 months to go through. So there was no rush, but it was a logical way of going through it. They can go through it faster, but they also could go through it slowly. We also, as I said, appointed a mentor for each individual. And also we had support from the TDHS admin and also had a customer support person, Jessie, supporting us. We also assigned the convener to the individual. So when they did their skills matrix, the convener was able to handhold them and identify the resources that were unique to them. So we moved from this generic, everybody, here's everything, and hopefully it fits, to identifying, you've already got finance skills, but you don't have clinical. So here are the resources, here are some videos to watch. And you can go into the governance evaluator and actually easily take them, simple. So for us, it means that induction actually starts the day we're notified of their appointments, which is usually about six to eight weeks before they go to their first board meeting. So instead of waiting on day one and we hand the book and do the tour, we've actually got that identified up front. They've got a structured plan. They've met their mentor. They've actually started doing some of the, the lookups, the, the videos, they've done their questionnaire, they've met with the convener. They actually arrive at the board meeting having been involved with many from TDHS and much of the admin completed. So the forms, et cetera, that they need to compulsorily do, that's done. And when I went back for feedback, the feedback was great. I hadn't expected it, but they said how professional the whole thing was and how inclusive they felt. They felt welcomed immediately and they felt they were part of the team well before they met us. And especially for this year, that was really important because we were all online on our first meeting. So it was never going to be possible for them to come in and meet us around the table. So what we found was the new directors were much more confident with having a voice at that table, which is exactly what you need. You need their expertise to shine and for them to feel comfortable to contribute. So that's our second year. Mm, that's amazing, Marianne. Congratulations for that extraordinary piece of leadership. It, it, pretty much, it pretty much sort of could be applicable to any sector, not just health, because I think being a new director is terrifying or quite a bit different no matter where you are, no matter which board you're on. Alex, I see you've got your hand up. Yeah, just wanted to comment on Marianne's induction process. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Mm, I've, I've spoken a number of times around... Most of the times with health boards, someone becomes a director on the 1st of July and they have all the responsibilities of a board member with none of the knowledge. And it's a potentially dangerous situation. So the department seems to be getting better at giving us a bit more warning about when people are going to join boards, about who's on and who's off. It's just tradition, like over the 10 years I've been on the board, it's been very late June that we'd find out who's on the board, if not early July. So the earlier you find out, the more you can put that sort of process in place. And I think that's fantastic. Mm. Thanks, no, Alex. That's terrific. Thanks, Alex. A really good comment. Ben, what happened in year two with you? Yeah, thanks, Fiona. And look, I'll probably echo similar thoughts to Marianne and Alex. We, we did see, uh, thankfully, a, a good transition from 
a lot of red to a, a more balanced yellow and green perspective and just flagging the traffic light system. To me, it, it really did mean that that first initial year that with our focus on what I'll probably say is essentially what we didn't have. We had obviously a lot of opportunity there to put in place things we didn't have. And then our second year, we could actually then start looking a little bit more on enhancing what we do have and, and building on, you know, I guess that foundation. So, you know, for us uh, here at uh, Kahuna, for example, one of the first things we did in the second year on, on the feedback was, you know, a lot of it was around set off. So we had, for example, a lot of action plans that uh, had been maybe sitting in the ether, given that there'd been a lot of reviews into our frameworks and our services here at Kahuna. For example, the Clinical Governance uh, Committee was receiving these action plans that were essentially 90% complete, but just, you know, had, hadn't gotten over the line. And I guess for us, it was probably a case of, we need to really have a look at what had happened in the past, start thinking about what we want for the future and what we can do to close those off. And, and I guess that was a, a pretty big move in the second year that I think helped us with our results this year to see us uh, probably move into a space where people were then able to start going, we can start thinking a little bit more strategically. Mm. So that was a big thing for us as an executive as well, to work with the board to say, you know, three years ago, we did have this review. We've done 90% of it. These three items aren't relevant anymore. You know, the, the industry's changed, the world's changed. These three are, and because I've been in the position, I guess, for a year and, and the way we've been going about reporting up to the board, uh, the board itself, I feel comfortable to say, I think had a lot more confidence in, in its executive team that, that those things were probably no longer uh, issues we need to sit there and just keep talking about every month because they were never going to be either resolved because of the nature of the service or the size of the service, things like that. There's some things that just in small rural health service, you're just never going to be able to achieve. So it was good to sort of move through that, finalising those action plans and, and I guess the, the second piece in the, having the, the, the second year come back through was it really said to us with the feedback from the board members that we needed to now start thinking a lot more strategically. Mm. Um, we were at the third year of a four-year strategic plan and so we've been um, through a process of updating the board every six months around our activity towards our strategic plan but as what happens we come up with a strategic plan the world changes in four years. And you know, I guess we only need to look at what's happened in the last three months as to the impact that it's had on all our lives. So I guess from our end, it was um, uh, a little bit more directive from the board to us here in exec and to the board as well to say, we need to start thinking a little bit more strategically about what we do for the future. And I guess I raised that because one of the big items we did was to do uh, a stronger engagement process around strategic planning for 2021 onwards, which was a big action item for us so that we'd actually look at getting some support and further assistance from the community in informing our strategic plan and other pieces that were interesting to see the feedback around for example financial literacy and, and Alex probably touched on it earlier it can be a, a bit different even with a, a financial background an accountant for example can come onto a hospital board and read a P&L but also putting it into context of the clinical activity that we do and the indicators and the governance you, you sometimes have to undertake a deliberate process of trying to marry them together because i think if anybody looked at a health board and said why are you spending so much money on that type of activity sometimes it doesn't always um, uh, i should say it defies logic sometimes as to why you continue doing it but i guess if that's part of what you are as a health service and it's part of your strategic plan you, you continue to do that service and find ways to be efficient at it but you've got to bring the board with you so that they can understand what it is that you're putting up with the finance as well as the, the clinical indicators and why you're making some of those decisions at the executive level. So the board calendar I mentioned earlier, we've now you know, got a process where every year 
we undertake a, a board education session with our chief financial officer and, and corporate team. It's very specific around the type of financial information and, and indicators that we put forward so that everybody gets the same level of education, but also the same opportunity to, to ask questions and mm. give permission to ask questions. That, that is fantastic. So I'll stick with you now, Ben, and take us into year three. So what happened next? So did your next evaluation and talk to us about what did the data show and, and what are some of the things that have happened in year three? In that sort of year, as we discovered, was that sort of plateau and... Yeah, correct. And we've literally just had our figures come through for year three and are currently looking to adopt our proposed action plan for the for the third year ahead. And I guess the big thing that came through, as you can see quite clearly, the board was more assured and settled around certainly some of the processes, for example, stakeholder management, stakeholder engagement was a big area of concern two years ago, whereas introducing things in our instrument of delegation and updating our CEO reports to show all the stakeholder activity, a lot of those things had, had fallen off, which was fantastic. Although they were a very strong green, which says to me that we adjusted as an executive to work with the board to show them the things that they would want to have confidence. We'd also improved the clinical governance reporting as well so every month we, we talk through with the board as part of looking strategically about well, what else do you need to want to see for the future and given maternity is such a big thing for kahuna and you know, we, we did introduce forecasting around maternity for example and what might be coming ahead in terms of activity so that the board felt like they had some ability to uh, understand just how important and relevant our service was but i think the biggest thing for us this year was in having a new board member commence with the organisation back in July last year, we saw some blue come into the report, which basically... So the person blue, was, blue is unsure, Ben, on the... Correct, yeah. Blue, yeah, blue was unsure, you know, and, and, and that was, uh, you know, probably a really powerful message to receive, particularly given uh, our progress with the first two years. To actually see some blue there basically meant we probably hadn't done enough to bring uh, the process to a point where we're taking new board members along with us. And I guess from my end, um, I'm currently working with uh, one of the board members who uh, is the link between the board and myself in, in making sure this action plan is relevant uh, for the board. And, and we're flagging that we, for example, might have done a great induction process uh, where we've formalised a lot of the activity around induction. But we're looking this year at introducing a buddy system, for example, for new board members and, and aligning that buddy system maybe with what you might consider some of the weaknesses of a new board member with some of the strengths of an existing board member. And, and so they've got that ability to be able to talk with someone and work through board board packs before they go to meetings and just and just see whether or not that makes a bit of a difference. The, probably the, one of the biggest things, and I, and I think it might even relate to one of the questions around the future for us is um, how do we better marry clinical governance and overall governance? Because um, mm. clinical governance has become a really big factor in any not-for-profit or, or healthcare service at the moment in terms of board discussion. And I guess one of the things we've identified is around um, risk management statement. That's our, our appetite for risk. That's been probably uh, a component this year that we're, we're looking at adopting a, a statement that I've been working with our board of management on for the last six months. But the, the real idea there is it puts into context, I guess, some of those clinical decision-making scenarios that come up in the acute health service and puts it into a framework that allows us to go making decisions 
as a board to say, no, we, we understand that, for example, this particular activity might draw us back negatively into the financial space, but that's what we're here to do. And that would be the right thing to do at this particular time and, and trying to sort of marry up what are sometimes two very disparate areas, clinical governance and finance, are, are sometimes always kept separate, but they're, they're very well intrinsically linked in health because if you don't get clinical governance right, you, you pay for it on the financial front. So I guess from, from our end, um, having a statement around what it is that we will and won't tolerate um, from the board is going to be a very powerful um, tool that will help inform some of our mm. planning for the future. And I guess uh, the big part for us was also around succession planning. As a new CEO, I was lucky I had an experienced board member who'd been here for a few years to give me the history. But even in that time, I'm currently up to my, my third, uh, third board chair and I'm, I'm fortunate it's probably not a fourth board chair because this particular board members said, look, I want to stay on for another year. I, I like where we're heading and, and I think I can still offer value and the CEO needs my support as well, I think is probably part of it. Um, because of the relationship we've had for the last year. So I guess uh, adding succession planning into more of that sort of formal discussion process so that it's now an agenda item we'll put on the calendar every year to properly discuss, okay, what, what are we going to do for the next year so that we've got some rigour and handover given that people will fall in and fall off of boards a little bit more continuously over the way it works now with the nine-year rule and, and, and people serving on boards. So then I guess the, the, the other big parts for us are, are looking at Australia uh, embedding our strategic workforce plan, uh, for example, and uh, a master planning process for the future. So we've come from a period two years ago where there was a lot of concern around what are we doing, um, are we going to have these services still to provide, to a point where we're now really heavily looking this year at our strategic planning and master planning process. It's exciting. Well done. Gosh, what a big job. I, I do remember you telling us about the people protesting on your lawn that when you started. Yes, so come a long way, Ben. That's fantastic. So, Marianne, yeah. talk to us about year three for you. Where have you landed? Oh, well, we've landed at a good place, I think. Um, <laughs> so um, we haven't had the protests, Ben, so we <laughs> But in the year three, which is the year that's just passed, we decided to align our questionnaire with the end of the the terms of the board. So as people were leaving, they were providing us, they were completing the questionnaire and we were getting their feedback, reflecting on the previous 12 months in readiness for a new start on July, in July, July the 1st. So we would canvas the views of the old board, if I could call them that, and uh, we would look at that together. Um, Good idea. I yeah. yeah. And I noticed that we'd become a lot more efficient at using the, you know, governance evaluator questionnaire. And actually, it's become part of our culture for ongoing development and review now. So it's creating discussions around the board table and what have you. And it was going to be an interesting questionnaire because it was completed after a huge year of change. Our previous CEO had resigned. We had appointed a new CEO after a long search. And we had many, many changes at the uh, service, especially at the executive level. Having a new CEO, she's working extremely hard, doing really well. So I invited her to also complete the questionnaire. And I asked for her response to be separated out from the board responses so that we could look and see where the discrepancies were, perceptions and what have you, and use that as a basis of discussion as well. And what was really good was we presented the results from the questionnaire from June 
at our first board meeting, which was attended by the new board. So there was that immediate opportunity for them to engage from the start. They could actually see where we had come from and where we were planning to head across to based on their feedback that we had. But it was really great actually, because we were able to compare the three years now, we're able to see how far we had actually got. We could see how much more efficient we'd become as a board. So the way we deliver board packs has been streamlined and improved so much. Our agendas flow much more better. We can get through things. We're focused on things for decision, focused on discussion. Things that are important, we know we have to pre-read and that's it and we move on. Our induction now, we're doing this for the second year. It's going really, really well. The feedback I'm getting from the new inductees, I called them both after the first meeting to say, how did you settle in? How did you find it? They just felt relaxed. They thought it was great. And yes, yeah, so exactly what we wanted. That was our objective. We've introduced in-camera sessions to every single meeting, which we hadn't had before. And governance relations, which was a red last year, is now a green because of the relationships that we've built and the processes we've implemented. I mean, we're not meaning to be green. So when we get the results, things change. So we're not expecting that when we get the heat map back that everything is green because that would be unrealistic. And we've got people that are starting and the landscape's changing with the department annually, as Ben mentioned with what's happened in the last few months. But what I did see this year for the first time was the new directors get to now see on day one a view of our three-year journey. They actually can look back and see us from where we've come from and where we are now, and they get involved in the action plan too because they bring their own skill set to the table. So their view is very, very important to us. And the feedback from the CEO is invaluable because... She's sharing what she's working on, which we think might be matured, but she now is there. She's examining everything. She's working through different processes. So she'll be part of the action plan we create as we move forward into the next 12 months. It really has created a really healthy discussion between her and I and a healthy discussion between the board and the CEO as well. So it's been great. I mean, we're all enthusiastic about it and it's been wonderful to have that three-year look back. When I think of where we've come from, where when I joined, I had no idea of what discussions took place or what governance looked like in terms of the service. And for all new board members now, they, they, they've got a bit of a, a history and they're able to participate in the areas where we know we've got to prioritise. So, That's lovely. Really good, Marianne. So year three for you is a really lovely coming together. Consolidation, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even though there's new people, it's sort of still consolidating. It's lovely. Thank you. And Alex, tell us about year three for you or, or the third evaluation for you. Year three was really interesting for us. I think we as a board were a lot more mature and we're a lot more discerning. So we actually went down in the results, as in more, more orange and red. But I actually think that's a good thing. I'd be most concerned if all the results were green and everyone thought we're doing fantastically because, as uh, Marianne said, it's unrealistic. Interesting what Ben said about the finances being different in the health service. We've just signed off, and I'm sure a lot of other health services have as well. We've signed off on a deficit budget. In, in the business world, that's called going broke. But in the health world that's 
where things are, things are tough and, and everyone's doing it, the government needs to look at the funding models. So it's a really hard thing to, to get your head around. And what Marianne said about changing the timing of the evaluation. So we used to, when I first started on the board, we used to do them in July. The new board members didn't have a clue what they were <laughs> responding to. We did to January to give them six months with, with their feet under the table. And then we ended up moving it to June more recently so new board members had a full year so they could evaluate and then the, the newer board members from the year after had some, some fresh knowledge. So um, <clears throat> don't be afraid to move things around. The, the, the evaluation's there to serve you as a board and it's there to, to, to help you do what you need to do and if you want to set that up. The buddy system's interesting as well. It's something we haven't done. I think, and Mark, if you're there, probably not a bad thing to do for the new board members coming on board just gives them that first point of contact as to what do we do. I had a, an individual on the board when I first joined who I knew personally and it was they'd get phone calls every day saying, what are we supposed to do here and what do we do with this? And I'm sure I annoyed him. But uh, anyway, that was all good. So our, our third year, as I said, got, got a lot more reds and oranges, which is fine. I think it's, it's probably a healthy thing. We had new board members who came in with some different ideas and uh, a lot of the focus became around strategic planning Clinical governance is always a, a, a really important thing, as we've been saying, and risk appetite is a really interesting one as well. So more recently, like March, April, we were saying, should we have COVID-19 on our, on our risk profile? It, it's, is it a risk or is it here? I don't know. <laughs> had different, and different people had different opinions. So going reviewing what your risk heat maps look like and what your risk appetite is is also really important. And that sort of shines up. When you're doing reviews and they're asking questions about the board has a healthy risk appetite and people go, I didn't even know we had a risk appetite. So <laughs> it's, it's, that's, they're the sort of conversations that the evaluations need to drive around the board table to, so you, you actually get the systems and processes better. Succession planning for us has been really important over the journey. From an executive perspective, we had, as I said, we transitioned a number of CEOs. We've had a CEO whose health wasn't particularly good for a while. We had an executive that stepped up to the plate and did an absolutely fantastic job and then subsequently got poached as a CEO by another Victorian health service. So, Vicky Farthing, if you're out there, you did a wonderful job and we miss you. So that process, for me, the, 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 the structural executive succession planning was really good. From a, from a board perspective, we went in, initially from these secret squirrel voting sessions around who's going to be the next CEO or treasurer or who's going to be on what committees. And it was a process that I didn't think was particularly mature and we changed it in recent years to be an open discussion around who wants to do it, who's got the capacity to do it. Geographically, does it make sense for someone to do it? And we went from those elections to having the discussion and putting in place a succession planning for the board itself. Our best laid plans can go all over the place. So the reason I just recently completed my 10th year instead of the nine years was the rest of the executive left the country or left the state. So it became very hard for brand new chair, brand new vice president, brand new treasurer. And the department said, no, it's, it, we need some sort of consistency there. So there is flexibility around the succession planning. And even though you have the conversation around who's going to do the job next, it doesn't always work out. So yeah. But that's uh, the third year, really interesting. Go through the, but like most years, go through the process, look at the, look at the reds and, and oranges. What can we do about them? How do we make next year better? Uh, thank you, Alex. I 
really love that notion of you saying your board was more discerning. And does that mean they were able to have, you know, deeper conversations or be okay about being reds and yellows? And Oh, absolutely. As, as I said, I'd be, I'd be concerned if everything was red. Uh, sorry, I'm very, I'm very concerned if everything was red. I'd be concerned <laughs> if everything was, uh, was green. Yes. Um, I noticed one of the questions from the audience was around... Yes, I'm looking at those too. ...open or closed questions. Now, you need to be a very mature board to be able to have open questions, mm. or open answers, who's answered what. And you need to have a very good relationship with between the board and the, and the executive to be able to open it up and say, well, this is what we think. And I believe that the, the board at Gippsland Southern are at that stage and we can have those conversations around what do you guys think, this is what we think. And where there's a bit of tension there, I'd be hesitant in having open answers. It's interesting, Ben mentioned the, the, the blue results. You, you tend to get more blue results from newer board members. And what our CEO, Mark Johnson, put on the table was from the results, why don't we gather all the blue results and give Mark a chance to put an answer to them? So if someone doesn't know what the process is, well, here's the, you know, it's in the induction pack, but the induction pack's this thick. And, and here's the manual, go and read it, and now you're inducted. So I really like what Mary Ann was talking about, about the induction and getting that done earlier and getting people on board so when they actually turn up for their first meeting, they're prepared. So, yeah. But I think the maturity of the board is really important and, and the diversity as well, really important to sort of work on. Thank you, Alex. That's, that's fantastic. And we're going to go on to questions in a moment, but I just thought before we go on to questions that... I'd love to just ask each of you if you had a tip for us moving forward after our catch-up today. So, Alex, if I could just start with you. Have you got a couple of take-home tips for everybody before we go into our question session? Yeah, probably it's more about the process, actually doing an evaluation. And, and don't get bogged down on the semantics of the questions. The people say, oh, I, I interpreted it like this or I interpreted it like that. And, and you, you can lose a lot of time and effort on some of the semantics there. And, and it's really, the idea is to improve as a board. And if you focus on this is why we're doing it and what the results are about, you can sort of move on from some of those more detailed things that can sort of bog you down. Now, that's incredibly helpful. And I can hear you've done that. You haven't just talked about the questions or the content, you've actually really done something each year. That's, that's lovely. Thank you, Alex. Really helpful. And Ben, what about you? Have you got a take-home tip for us today? Yeah, certainly. And, and, and look, I'm uh, wearing my board member hat, but as a CEO now, I'd, I'd encourage other you know, uh, people participating in the forum today, if you're on a board or if you're looking to get on a board, the biggest thing for me is trying to make sure that what we're putting forward is working in the right direction strategically. And if, for example, you're not getting what you need to see as a board member, ask for it. Tell us, you know, don't be shy. We're your employee as a CEO, if that makes sense. So, you know, we'll take direction. Um, even if we have been on the board for 30 years, we should still be in that position where you know, we should be able to learn something new. So I guess from my end, if we're putting things together for my board, for example, I usually do a little brief. And that helps the board members, instead of trying to interpret a 30-page document, a little brief that just gives them an idea of some of the areas that I'd be looking at with the board members hat on, but also executively what we're looking at to make a, make a change. So that hopefully 
as part of the whole process of meeting each month and the agendas, we're allowing enough time to keep an, uh, the majority of the discussion on what needs to be happening strategically for the future, which I think you know, boards can certainly make a, a huge difference if, if, if that's the focus. So um, don't, don't be shy in asking your, your, your uh, CEO and your executives if you're not sure that's what we're there for. We're supposed to give you what you need to see. That's very reassuring. Thank you, Ben. I like that. That's terrific. Marianne, have you got a tip for all of us to take home today, please? So my tip is, look, at a time when our boards are getting so diverse and we come from different geographical areas, I think it's important to leverage the technology. And that helps us to drive the performance and the culture of your board and the service. Uh, don't reinvent the wheel is my advice. If the tool exists, adapt it to reflect the needs of your organisation. So I'm seeing other people take on the induction differently and I'm keen to hear back how other people are using technology in their services because I think that's really important. And be ready to support the development of each and every member of your board, whether they're new to the governance area or even if they're seasoned board members, there's so much we need to learn and keep up to date with. Learning and development is ongoing. It doesn't start and stop. We're always learning and there's more to learn. I highly, highly recommend you have a look at the Governance Evaluator if you haven't done so, because it really helps you to create the culture of continuous review and development, which I know my board and myself, we have found very, very useful. That action plan is fantastic. And it's healthy, it's what's expected. But I think importantly too is, if something was to happen to me tomorrow or our entire board wasn't there, there's something there on the technology. We've actually captured our history, the action plans, the induction plans, it's all there. And I think um, we need to create our story and we really need to keep reviewing that story. And whoever comes in can pick up from where you've left off. And I think that's really important for the, the organisation as well as the board members around the table and for the department to have that assurance that we're really on top of this, given, you know, our responsibilities. That's wonderful. Thanks, Marianne. That's really lovely. I, I, I love that notion of your story because it, it really does tell a story, doesn't it? All that data over the years. It's terrific. Yes, Thank you. It does. Thank you for those lovely overall tips. And now what I'd like to do is have a look at our questions. And what one of the questions, and I think this is a really good question, it's about have any of you had to confront the tensions between board and executive interpretation of the evaluations? And I think, Alex, you touched on that a little bit. But Marianne or Ben, have you ever come across this or have any tips around the importance of, of course, including the CEO and the um, board in your answers, but then how do you manage any tensions that come up from that or best ways to handle it? I must admit, I did think Alex's idea of the board needing to be a bit mature before you do that. But Ben or Marianne, do you have anything to add to the answer of that? We're, we're only actually starting to do that now after three years, yeah, and, and I suppose part of that is because our CEO has been unwell for a number of years, so we've got our new CEO now, but there isn't any tension between us because we've openly and transparently said we want to actually get where you, you're going and what you perceive is happening under all of those pillars 
and we want to share with you where we are and we'll go through that as a group and as through individuals and mm. I like the idea of looking at the unsures and then developing something yeah. for those people too but I don't sense any tensions fortunately but we have been transparent and open about why we're doing this so thank you so that sort of adds to that notion of the magic of three years things seem to be at a more mature level after three years Ben what about you any thoughts on this from a CEO and executive perspective? Yeah, certainly do. And, and, and even you know, um, looking at uh, the process of undergoing this as a board member myself as well, the, the, I think that one of the biggest things is um, it's important to remember that even if there's one person within that group that still does not probably, you know, if they're putting blues or reds compared to everybody else putting yellows and greens, then we all have to readdress um, the executive through to board members exactly where we are and how we address them. And, and Alex touched on the fact that particularly CEO he's worked with had that great idea around let's get the blues and just mm. you know, cover off the blues so that we can reiterate where we were or what we've done in the past or what we're going to do to give everybody the same level of confidence. That's a, that's a good way to go about it. I, I, we've probably had the anonymity piece throughout our journey with your team, Fee, in terms of how we present them. But even it's quite powerful when board members all agree that, yes, we're going to do it anonymously, but if that was you, speak up and then feel comfortable to do so, so that we can all understand the real crux of why you'd answer it that way. Because um, as much as the questions in the tool are fantastic, sometimes it's just some small detail that made that person go, I think that's more blue or red than it is green or yellow for them. But, you know, another board member might not have even considered that nuance, if that makes sense. And, and in, putting in, in hearing them feel comfortable to come forward and say, this is why I made it blue. Sales I've found around the table as, as an executive as well. I can see faces going, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think of that when I answered the question. Mm, so, yeah. you know, we've generally kept it anonymous, but tried to create that culture of if, if that was you, really feel comfortable to put your hand up and just give us an, an insight in, into why you'd answer it that way. Because as a group, we obviously haven't, conveyed what we needed to uh, consistently or, or, or strongly enough to, 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 to give them that right idea of, of how to answer that question. Very good. Alex? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so in the, in the past, we've had a, a number of situations where it felt from the executive perspective that the board was trying to catch them out or have a go at them or ask questions that they didn't feel comfortable with. And again, <clears throat> the maturity of the board now, we don't get that. But it was what we really had to put on the table was that the executives are there five days a week and the board turns up once a month, reads some papers, might go to a committee meeting. There's a lot of stuff that the board doesn't actually know. And, the, and their job as board members is to ask the questions and they may be difficult questions, but as long as if you've got that mature and respectful conversation going and the executive know that you're not there asking questions to try and catch them out and to try and make them feel foolish. You're just asking because you don't understand or you don't know. If you haven't read the papers, it's a different story. It's, that's your <laughs> Yes. Um, um, but yeah, you, you need to, anytime there's any animosity, you need to address it and address it quickly. And, mm. That's good advice. Address it quickly. Yeah. There's another really good question around that notion of you all discussed in the induction process and once, your directors had evaluated themselves and understood their own skills, their own professional skills, but also their own sector skills. You talked about lining them up with buddies. So there's a couple of questions here around how do you do that? Have you got any tips for doing that? Marianne, I might start with you from all of your induction work. How have you done that? What, what have been some secrets? 
Well, it's nothing um, amazing, really. Uh, some of it's to do with geography. So we had um, a board member um, who came on board last year from Melbourne. It made sense to partner them with somebody in Melbourne because the idea was that we would have lots of coffees together and lots of chats or whatever. I suppose in COVID times, it doesn't matter so much because no one's having coffee, but you can have a coffee over it. So that doesn't matter so much. But last year, as I said, um, location was really important and that ability to meet face-to-face -face and talk. But the ideal is to actually have a look at the skills that they bring and partner them with somebody who has a complementary skill set. So on, on your same board? Yes. Mm. We do it from our same board, but I have been mm. thinking about doing it with external people. But the intent we have at induction time is that they get to know the board. And that's okay. why I've chosen to go down that path. Okay. But for example, if someone's got a strong clinical suite of skills and no finance skills, it makes sense to partner them with somebody with the finance and possibly not so strong on the clinical, because that way both get something from that mentoring as well. That's a clever idea. So start with your own board, because this person was saying in the question that people did run out of time and they couldn't be mentors. So I guess as a chair, it's about having a little bit of a list up your sleeves. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Alex or Ben? Alex? I, I think using either existing board members or recently departed board members from a health oh, board. Good. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, good idea. They've got good experience. They know the area. They still might be time poor. But if it's for new directors on a health board, having someone that's recently left that board just to ask the questions about what's the process area, how do we do this, I think it's probably better to have existing board members and use that buddy system that, that Marianne talked about who's mm. recently departed board members. I have a number of mentors privately that I've had to actually go out and approach them and say, can we catch up for a coffee once a quarter or, or something and have that conversation? And, and it is a time constraint. It, it, is, it is hard. I haven't had to pay anyone yet, thank God. <laughs> um, but mm. It is a tough thing. But use the existing board members, I would have thought. Lastly, we have, as chairs, if you have directors who are performing and won't take these wonderful development opportunities around recognising their own strengths and what have you, have you got any tips for that? What you might do? Have you come across that? And what are some tips, please? Yeah. Well, I've had one experience when I first joined, as someone that joined our board was joining in remotely. He wasn't able to come to the meetings. And after probably about half a dozen meetings, there was absolutely no input, no visibility, not turning up, even to our Christmas gatherings. He was very busy. And I ended up actually having to have a one-on-one -on -one and just talk, talk through and better understand what was happening at his end and, and understand why he joined the board in the first place, you know, what was the purpose of it, because he actually brought some fantastic skills to the table, but he wasn't sharing anything, he wasn't responding, it sounded like he was typing through the meeting, what have you, and what it basically boiled down to was, in the middle of all of this, he had taken on a separate piece of work, which just completely consumed him, which I was completely unaware of, which then we had an open conversation about, is this good timing for you then? Because we really do need, and I think that's, you've got to be honest about it because if you've, you're limited to a certain number of people around that table, you're all there for the one reason to actually 
do the best strategically for the service that you work for. You cannot afford to be carrying people who are just there to get board experience on a CV. I think confronting and having an open conversation and being transparent and better understanding why that's happening. Now, it could be that someone's not saying anything, as I said before, because of confidence, and you deal with that differently. But where there's no input at all, I think you need to address it and address it quickly. Thanks, Marianne. Alex, from your experience, have you got any tips yeah, for this question? So, to me, managing directors is the same as managing staff and kids. It's all about setting expectations and then talking through when the expectations aren't being met, what you do expect of them. So bad behaviour, whether it's staff or kids or board members, people do it because you let them. You let them get away with it. And and as chairs, it's your responsibility to pull that up, not in a public way. You, you, you uh, congratulate in public and you berate in private. Um, <laughs> but if someone's not performing and it's very clear to other people it's very hard to hide this stuff you, you have to as Marianne said you have to have that conversation with them and say is, is your heart in this I'm fortunate I've never had to sack anyone but I've convinced a number of people that their future lies elsewhere <laughs> generally they agree with it there's nowhere to hide with this stuff and as a director they've got the AICD's version is the fiduciary responsibility for the business and if they're not performing and acting appropriately they shouldn't be there Thank you, Alec. I think that's absolutely right. And Ben, for you, you've been a chair yourself. And, and look, I, I, I reiterate, uh, agree with both uh, Mary and Alex, but I think one of the other things that you can do to complement uh, part of the process around that skills matrix and, and annually just having a look at skills. And it, yes, it does have that benefit of uh, further recruitment. But if you take the time to go, what skills do we have? You've then also got that vehicle to uh, tap that, what's the word, somebody who's less engaged with the board or somebody who, for example, does have that uh, a strong skill set and other strengths, that's when you basically go, well, okay, you've got these uh, strengths, you've identified it through some sort of formal tool. If you're recruiting, you know, and I'm conscious at the moment we've got a, a new board member coming onto our team who has never been on a board, has just had his first child with his wife in our hospital two weeks ago, <laughs> but, and I'm trying to set a board chair, we just need to give this guy a little bit of leeway. He might, might be a bit busy for a couple of weeks, but even some of his strengths are his ability to adapt with IT and technology and and so I can see him still being a strong participant in that space, but he might need the maturity of maybe one of our longer serving board members to go through the pack and understand how the board directions work and, and things that we identified in our skills matrix, we could probably match up with, with a new board member and use that as a vehicle to be able to tap someone on the shoulder and go, who, who, who you know, as a chair, who, who might be lingering a little bit or just going through the motions and you want to activate them, maybe use that as a vehicle to activate them to help them talk, if that makes sense. And say, so, well, you said that on self-assessment, we're going to use those skills. Um, you're going to help this new guy and, and, and see if that helps. That's, that's just a suggestion. I think that's really, really good. Really helpful tips. Ter terrific. We have another question about independent conveners. And the interest is, do you have a convener that has a background that has the specific areas that your board is in? So in this case, health or do you deliberately choose conveners from with other backgrounds i mean obviously governance would be a very good background and alex i'm interested to start with you because you yourself have been you're, you're a uh, been a consultant in governance is it good to have someone support the board with the health knowledge as well as governance knowledge uh, it's, it's what's so your thoughts 
It certainly can help. I've, I've got a feeling that that question was based uh, around myself, Ben and Mary Ann, about whether we have health backgrounds. But I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, Good question. Okay. So if you're getting advisors in, they clearly need to have the, the, the skill set that from a health board, if they don't have a health background and, or know the industry, they, they wouldn't be much good. On the board, each board should have a skills matrix around what are the skills that we have around the board. Legal was always mm. the one that Gippsland Southern struggle with and, and more recently we've done better with that. And from the people recommended to us from the department, so that's worked well. I don't have a health background at all. Before I joined the board, I had nothing. Um, mm. and I think it's, it's important to have that diversity of yeah. with, without specific health background, but you do need to have a clinician on the board in, in, the, in the health area. You need to have someone. We've been very fortunate to have uh, a surgeon on and you can, we have had another um, doctor that we uh, seconded to the board. So he wasn't actually a board member, but he was one of the local doctors. Actually, no, he wasn't locally. He was previously a local doctor. And so he was seconded on the board to be that clinician that you could, when things got technical and you don't want to get operational as a board, you want to keep it strategic. But having that clinician there was really, really important and very good to throw questions around. That's fantastic. And thank you because I think that's a really good point. So what I'm hearing is as the convener, it's really important to have governance and that sector knowledge. But as a director, you welcome that diversity, providing there's things to help you contribute yeah i love that that's good marianne what's your thoughts on this because i think you said you have had some convening in your yeah um, well we, well fear as we actually got a convener from your group from governance evaluator who intimately knew the not only the questions but the appropriate resources to match up and i think that's what's really that's important. a good point and I think if you can create, if you're looking to create a development plan for that individual, you need to be able to tap into the most appropriate resources, either from wherever they come, whether they're from the department or whether they're from the service, or you've, you've actually got a lot of that there. So that to me was really, really helpful. Like Alex, I don't have any health background, so the whole process really helped me. And like Alex, I think it's absolutely critical you have clinicians around that table because people like myself, I cannot respond to some of the things that are coming and I can't even sometimes think of the right questions for them. But if you've got a few of them looking at this with their hat on, then you will get the right questions asked. Where I'll come in is I've got a business background and a sales background and contracts. So that's where I can support the clinicians who don't feel that strongly around those areas. And we've got an accountant who's excellent on the financials. He'll be spotting things and to support us. So that diversity is actually very, very helpful, needed. And I would really encourage everybody to look for it. That's very true. And Ben? Um, just being with a, uh, my first board appointment at, at um, another small rural health service, I think the fact that I was a clinician, so I'm a registered nurse as a background, um, that was a skill set that, and I've also seen this replicated elsewhere, you don't always commonly get uh, nice. putting your hand up the board. So it's a very valuable skill set, if for no other reason that in some ways we can provide confidence to the other nine people around the table that what we're being told by executives and, and so-called experts is got uh, some basis in reality and fact. And I, and I guess I'd just say that not denigrating my, um, 
occupation, uh, past occupation as a clinician, but sometimes you just want some reassurance from somebody else that's at the same level as you that what they're saying is reasonable and factual and, and you can get that around the table sometimes even just with eye contact or you might see the, the clinician nod if that makes sense at the table and, and I guess all I'm indicating is that it's good to, to, to be able to have that diversity of things around the table because there's, there's a lot of times I'll look at um, our lawyer for example on our board just to see what type of facial expressions I'm getting from them to make sure I'm <laughs> on track and we've got that culture where we expect that person has read that on the agenda because of the way we flag it now around decision making and they've got, they're pre-warned, they've got the capacity to use some of their legal insight into whether or not this discussion around a joint venture agreement, for example, with other health services, has some solid foundations. Mm. And I think just that having that diversity as an executive is, is really beneficial. But I think as a board member, it's nice to know that the person who's strong on that subject matter around the table is, is also in, in agreement or at least able to, to give you some confidence that the decisions are the right one that we're heading down. Mm, well, I think that's really helpful. So what a fantastic discussion. And I think that concludes our question time now. It's really disappointing, but we need to bring our conversation to an end. I uh, just want to thank you all so much, Alex. Thank you for your time and your valuable insights to be able to say that you've been on that board for 10 years and your leadership for their evaluation, but now to say that you have a discerning board that asks and talks so openly is just such a credit to you. So congratulations. Ben, thank you so much for sharing. Um, that's an extraordinary journey from being a chair and a director to being the CEO. And congratulations for your part of the leadership. You know, I love how there's clearly a marriage between the executive and the board and you know, working on all those projects together. And I love that notion of you all being so much more strategic now in your discussions. That must make you look forward to board meetings. <laughs> look, it does. And it means I feel like I'm doing my job better because I've given them what they need in the pack to already get the bound to the foundations and the information they need so they don't need to ask that question as much at the board. They, they can then focus maybe a little bit more on other questions that are going to push us in the right direction and keep oh, us focused. Fantastic. And sorry, Alex, I didn't... Um, that you final your final comment either sorry oh, i didn't really have one apart from i'm looking for new board positions so anyone out i wanted to mention that <laughs> yes i do think it's really really important i mean you are absolutely ready to go on to other boards now and there are lots of other boards that i think the phone will ring hot off the hook now <laughs> now that people know it's fantastic Marianne, thank you so much. What a journey you've been on coming in. And I want to congratulate you for your leadership around induction, embracing that notion of that individual director development to building that really uh, high level, knowledgeable, assured team. So thank you for your insights today. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Faith. It's a very great pleasure. Thank you all so much. And we'll look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you.